Digital Marketing Radio, episode 170, launching a digital business. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Digital Marketing Radio is part of the 3B Podcast Network, UK casters talking business growth. Find out more over at 3BPN.com. The big interview with David Bain. Today I'm joined by a man who, over the past 10 years, has generated hundreds of millions of dollars growth consulting to Fortune 500 businesses. He's built teams, developed brands, and run hundreds of tests for his clients, resulting in him starting Hotjar, software offering heat maps, recordings, and other website visitor feedback. Welcome to DMR, David Darmanin. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Oh, thank you so much for joining me. Well, of course, you can find David over at hotjar.com. So, David, what made you start Hotjar? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd say... In a way, I was kind of um, solving an itch I had myself, right? I was scratching that itch for myself. Um, early on in my career, um, when I started uh, building websites, this was quite some time ago, <laughs> <laughs> um, I I kind of was very frustrated. Probably it's a little bit my analytical way of thinking, which was I wanted to, to understand is what I'm creating kind of effective? Is it good? Is it bad? And I was frustrated to think that that would be determined by like an award or if the client is happy or not, or if my boss is happy or not. Um, so it kind of sparked off this question, which is how do you measure if a site and experience of design is good or not, right? Okay. Now, the tools that became available eventually or that were around back in those days were extremely expensive, very enterprise focused. So that, that frustrated me a lot. And later in my career, when I became kind of a consultant, started working with these big brands that had these tools, I was very underwhelmed by the way they worked. There were so many different tools that had to work together, scripts. And um, given my background, which is software and UX, I was like, this, this is actually a problem I can solve. And I'd love to build a better tool for myself. Um, and that's how Hotjar came about. I reached out to some of the best people I had worked with in the past, and they became my co-founders, and, and we kicked off Hotjar. Wonderful. So how do you position Hotjar comp- uh, differently compared with competitors in the marketplace? I'd say that the key thing, you mentioned this in the beginning when you introduced Hotjar, um, many tools out there are focused around the numbers, right? Um, so, so many people are visiting this page, so many people are doing this or doing that. But I've found that both our team, right, and, and many teams that I've worked with in the past, they really know how to act on or interpret that number. Is it good? Is it bad? Um, what does it mean, right? And I found that it's so easy to get lost in the weeds in all this data. So where do you start from? Um, so Hotjar, in a way, is is very different um, because it's focused on two areas together. So there's both analytics. Um, so what your visitors, customers, your users, what are they actually doing? They're going to this page. They're behaving this way. And then why they're doing it. So the ability to ask questions on the fly within pages, ask surveys at the end of an experience, and combining those two pieces of data, we found to be the most powerful way to identify your, what should be your next move. Um, we call this kind of the big picture. Um, and it's quite powerful, right? Because if you're working on a site and you're trying to improve it and you're noticing certain behaviors and then you, you see certain answers, 
to questions you've asked, you, you start to get these aha moments. So, ah, so that's why they're behaving the way they are. Or that's, that's why there's, they're mentioning this, this kind of big objection in their answers. So um, we're really focused, all our vision, all the training we offer um, is all focused around connecting these two areas together. And did this expansive um, experience actually exist in the first version of the software or was the first version quite simple? Um, no, it existed in the first version. I'd say to start off with, we started with kind of an MVP, right? Which mm. is all the different functionality, which is analytics and feedback. And as we progress, we're iteratively connecting these these two areas more and more together. How did you actually recruit your initial users for the software? Yeah, that was a challenge because obviously it's easy to have a great idea, but what I learned from failing with two startup ideas before Hodjar is that it's not good enough to have a solution. Um, the solution needs to be something that people already want. So there is a demand, a market for it. Um, and two, it's critical that when doing a startup, you need to have access or have the knowledge of how to find a lot of people that are interested in it. So obviously I had my personal network, but that wouldn't have been enough. Um, so we realized that we had to leverage existing communities. But we also knew there had to be a, a viral impact, right, for this to kind of really take off, especially since Hotjar is is kind of priced and, and packaged in a way for more volume, more for the whole market as opposed to high-end um, kind of clients. And it's your intention to keep it that way as well, is it? Oh, yes. Well, well our, our vision internally, it's not something that we kind of mention a lot on the site and whatnot, is we use the word very heavily, which is democratize. Okay. So we want to democratize um, this whole user analytics piece. So the what they're doing and why they're doing it. We believe everyone should have, have access to this data, right? So David from 20 years ago, ideally as a student, should should have access to a free Hotjar account. Um, so, 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 yeah, so... In order to kind of reach the masses, what we did was we're, we're thinking, okay, so we want to learn from our mistakes in the past. So we said, let's let's design this tool, even though it doesn't currently work, and show it to the world. So we created a, um, a homepage which showed this is what Hotjar will include. And if you're interested, put in your email address. And then if you do put in your email, on the next screen, it would say, okay, you're number 500 in the line or number eventually 2,000, 3,000, 10,000 in the line. Refer your friends and you'll bump up in the list. But then we also gamified it. So if you're the, the first 20 in the list, you get a lifetime account to Hotjar. If you're the first 200, you get a t-shirt. And if you refer five friends, um, you you get six months for free of Hotjar. And this this was extremely effective. Um, so we had this, this uh, very effective kind of viral coefficiency going on, and then we fueled it by approaching communities such as web design communities, uh, marketing communities. Um, so this could be forums or sites, and we'd basically sponsor their newsletter um, or ask them to introduce us to their community. Um, and we also used like these, there are a lot of beta sites where there are big communities of early adopters eager to test out new tools. So we mainly used these these kind of um, fora. And then we also used a site such as Product Hunt. And I, I highlight that in particular because this was very early on in the Product Hunt days. So we were lucky okay. and we managed to hit the top spot. So, so it was all these kind of elements working together and that viral coefficient on top. So as we bring in more people, they're going out and recruiting 
others themselves. So I'm sure, I'm sure you received a lot of feedback from your initial users. What initial feedback surprised you the most? There's quite a few, but we, we, we realized we obviously had to eat our own dog food, right? So one of the features that we offer is surveys. Polls is like a minified version of that, one quick question or series of questions. But a survey is more like a, a long tail set of questions. But early on, when we, we eventually reached like something like 60,000 emails in our database, but we started to realize that a lot of them were agencies, much more than we expected. So an agency would be um, a group of, of marketers doing work for right other clients. Um, and, and besides agencies, or, or there could be consultants, which could be anything from a one-man band to uh, like a, a whole firm. So we were a little bit, I was a little bit worried there because I was thinking, hold on, um, we always thought Hodger would be a tool for an in-house team. Mm -hmm. We never put too much thought into the whole agency thing. And although I worked in an agency before, um, I didn't want to make the assumption of knowing what our users wanted. So we created a survey, like a seven question survey uh, and sent this out to um, all the agencies that signed up. Um, We asked them questions such as, how many clients do you have, right? Um, do you prefer to pay for the client or would you want the client to pay? Back then, we were kind of really worried. Are people actually going to pay us money after the beta? So we asked questions like, how much are you paying for similar tools like this? Are you using similar tools like this? So so the more we could understand about their needs and, and their preferences, we thought would be ideal to prepare the beta for them and then eventually the commercial release. But what... Like was what shocked me was that I assumed that most agencies and consultants would rather have the client pay and they mm-hmm. just manage the data. But what I discovered was that the typical 80-20 rule, 80% of anyone who's working with a client typically would prefer that they pay because they would then bundle that into their costs to the client and they see that as a tactic to kind of keep the client. Right. So they don't even actually disclose to the client what software they're using. They just produce this, this wonderful insight, these wonderful reports, and then the client yeah. are impressed with them. Exactly. Well, not all of them, right? Not all of the 80% wanted that, but a substantial amount of them also said, we'd like to white label. And we knew we didn't want to white label. Um, that strategy didn't make sense for us because given that we are a volume brand, mm. it, and we need to reach kind of a big market, it's critical that the brand is there. But we made compromises. So we quickly changed the e-commerce setup to allow clients to choose either to invite a client and they have access or pay for them themselves and and get discounts. And we also allowed them to replace the Hotjar logo on the top with their agency logo. Um, So it's not a white label, but it was a compromise. And, And many agencies, they it was a huge success. Many agencies just love the offering we had. And it just goes to show how effective it can be to prepare yourself and just get that feedback early on. Okay, so don't presume who your target market are. Make sure you actually ask them who they are and tailor your offering towards that. Correct. I'd say the more you can get to know about your your market, your users, your customers, the deeper you get to know them, and the more you become them, ideally you should be the customer yourself, the more you're putting yourself in a position to succeed. In terms of yourselves, how, how big a team did you have? How big a team do you have now? How many developers do you actually have? Yeah, we we were uh, five co-founders when we started. Um, and we did the whole beta together for one year, just us. <laughs> okay. Good. It was interesting times. But um, yeah, it was re- really fun. So we did all the support, 
all the UX design, all that stuff was happening between us. Obviously, being Fiverr was extremely efficient. Um, but at a certain point, it was a little bit overwhelming because we had like 20,000 sites using Hotjar. So it was a little bit um, uh, of, a, of a crazy feat, let's say. Um, mm. But yeah, um, the main reason for this is that we, we are completely self-funded. So we're bootstrapped. So although at the very beginning, we made a conscious decision that we needed to invest enough funds to pay out salaries, we wanted to make sure that we were building something viable and profitable before we'd start employing people, right? And put them in a position where they have a job, which they could potentially then lose. So we're quite sensitive to that. Uh, but as soon as we exited the beta, within one month, we kind of said, here's an extra free month. And then after that, you can start paying. And as you can imagine, we were all like, oh, is this actually going to work? Are we, mm. is this, are we going to make any money? And we were surprised that within one month, we were covering all our operational costs and way beyond. So that was... Um, around a year and a half ago. And from then onwards, we started recruiting nonstop, basically, to to focus on building up the dev team, customer success. And now we've, we've just reached around 22. Obviously, the initial viral campaign, the pre-launch phase was, was very successful. What about marketing the business now you're not in that phase? Do you find it more challenging to actually get that viral traction that you had prior to launch? It's never the same as it was during the launch, right? So you always need to reinvent yourself. Um, in, in a way, um, you always need to be thinking, how do I create noise? How do I create newsworthy events or changes to the product that can kind of at least simulate that? So while we still see very strong word of mouth um, coming from either people referring Hodger to their colleagues and friends or people moving on to a new job, and taking Hotjar with them, um, we definitely need to put more effort into the paid or acquisition side of things, as well as content. So becoming more of a, of a, uh, let's say, of a, a trusted voice, because that mm -hmm. helps. Um, our background is more on the acquisition side, so that's what we know how to do. So while we, I think we we de um, deliver great content, we're, we're much more um, uh, knowledgeable when it comes to how to get the message out there in a paid format. So that's something that we're, we're doing more and more of. Um, but we're now also thinking, how do we kind of keep that initial um, beta fire alive? So now we're starting, as, as we've grown the team, because it takes just so much time to recruit the team and put the processes in place, especially when you hit 20 people, it's just a, a big barrier to get over. So now we're coming back into doing hackathons coming together and creating new stuff. And then our plan is to, again, label them as beta and go out and get um, our audiences to interact and test these out and give us feedback. So really looking forward to getting back um, on track with that. So new stuff to enhance your current products offering or new stuff that aren't necessarily directly relating to what you do at the moment? No, I'd say everything is directly related. Um, resources are so scarce that we, we can't afford ourselves the luxury of, of kind of departing from that. But I'd say the stuff we work on is typically improvements to what we have, the infrastructure and the product, as well as new, new features, although I hate saying new features, but new functionality um, that is going to be added to Hotjar. Reason being is that we, we feel that we're just getting started with our vision. There's a long way to go. Um, and on our homepage, we say we are the all-in-one tool and we really want to live up to this all-in-one 
um, thing. So obviously there's going to be more to be added to hot jars. Some few surprises coming up. Good, good. Well, I'm sure many competitors are scared of um, what, what you've done so far and what you're going to do in the future. Um, what, what about your team? You, you mentioned the number about 20 there. Are, is everyone actually based in, in Malta um, at the moment or are people working all over the world for you? We believe that the world would be a better place if everyone could have more flexibility and freedom. So very early on, even though we lived like a few kilometers from each other, we actually always re- worked remotely. Um, I worked for two years remotely before Hotjar, and I think once once you do remote in the right way, where the whole organization is remote, not just one-off or, or small teams, then it it is an experience that you don't want to go back from. So as I said, early on, we structured the technology, the processes, the way we work to be completely remote. And currently, we have had a few other uh, hires in Malta, um, just because we obviously wanted to hire really good people we've worked with before. But all our, we never target Malta. All our ads are global. And we've recruited people from all the way from Idaho to Switzerland to Stockholm, Lisbon, Vermont, Buffalo. So there's uh, an interesting spread. We even have a can. We had a candidate we were speak to, who was based in Sydney. So obviously there are practicalities we want to make sure of, which are like time zone and overlaps and stuff. But we we truly believe in in creating. A, we see ourselves as being a completely remote company where everyone can live the lifestyle. They can live from wherever they want. Well, let's segue into the second section of our discussion. So that focuses on David's thoughts on where digital marketing's been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. So, David, what software do you currently use in your business, um, perhaps apart from Hotjar, <laughs> that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? So if we're talking specifically about marketing, I would say probably Intercom is one of our favorite tools. Um we, we constantly have this internal debate. Will Intercom scale as we scale our users, right? Can we keep on doing this? But mm. time after time, it is a, a weapon in our arsenal that allows us to, to, to provide an awesome experience to our users. And, and they love the fact that we can interact, give them support um, and answer their questions in a very more kind of informal, personal way. So Intercom is what, definitely one, one of our favorites. And that's an online chat stroke marketing automation tool, isn't it? Correct. It overlaps, right? Because Intercom allows you, it's like a chat thing, which sits in your app. It's ideal for SaaS businesses, obviously, because you can interact with your customers. But they also have like an acquire model where you can also show this on your, say, your pricing page or Mm. show it on your homepage. So we typically use mainly Hotjar to collect feedback. But then when we deploy new pages, we sometimes like to to launch intercoms so that we can kind of address questions on the fly and try and lead um, uh, interesting new prospects in, into the product. So yeah, intercom is definitely one of our favorites. Um, then I'd say this is kind of going to come as a surprise because it's not directly a, a kind of a marketing tool per se, is Google Apps. We use Google Apps a lot. And from a collaboration standpoint, it's brilliant. Um, it's really simple, and yet it allows you to to quickly kind of work on copy together. So the, the ability to have a Google Doc and everyone can like suggest editing, add comments. We find it a great way to kind of iterate quickly within the marketing team until we reach the point where we, we're happy to move ahead. But similarly, we use it for everything, right? Reports, um, tracking numbers and metrics, and, and it, it's just fantastic. 
Um, and it's so simple at the same time. Um, should I keep on going or? Yes, keep on going. Why not? Um, other tools we could not live without. Well, less of a tool, more of a platform. Sure. But we really love Facebook ads. And and what's what, what is the most effective way at the moment for you to use Facebook ads? Because it's it's such a big it um, is it piece is. of software in terms of options. When you think about it, it's like unprecedented to think that we live in an age where you can target people by their interests, by what they do, by their their demographic. It's like the options in there are are just unlimited, right? So. Yeah. In our case, it's very clear cut. We know exactly who we're going for. Our strategy is bottom up as opposed to targeting CMOs and down. We, we want to interact with teams. So Facebook offers us the ideal opportunity to do that. So no matter your business, no matter what you're doing, Facebook is the ideal way to really quickly test, uh, one, is there a big enough uh, pool of people, we talked about that earlier, right, that you can actually mm. target with your product and service? So even just searching are there enough people who have this interest is it big enough people that i can target and two how they're going to react to your angle your message and whether they're actually going to click interact and at what cost does that come so in like and in any way if you're going to launch anything facebook is like the ideal field kind of testing tool but at the same time as you start to scale it's also it's also a great way to potentially scale it's it usually works much more though if you're more of a volume brand uh, uh, product, such as Hotjar or Box or Basecamp or whatnot, it has to be something where you're reaching the masses, right? So, so what's your most effective call to action on Facebook ads at the moment? See, I think it's less about call to action on Facebook and it's more about the conversation. So right. on Facebook, it, you always need to think about in what context are the users using the platform on which I'm interacting with them, right? So mm -hmm. people go to Facebook primarily because they're bored, right? We know that. And two, because they want to consume news. Now, the, the key to getting people interesting, generating demand in your brand or in your product is to create um, messages or content that is um, newsworthy and also provokes self-interest so if i see something i'd say oh this this is something for me this is something i could benefit from this is something i can value from and oh there's interesting something happened so on facebook you tend to interact with things in this way right so it's mm. key that the message needs to involve those two aspects then what i call kind of the the fuel to add to the fire is curiosity so if you can add any ingredients that spark curiosity like the way you introduce it so for us it's using heat map images right everyone's like oh what's that what are people doing there what what are they clicking on um but the news aspect is critical so in our case for example we leverage the fact that we are a new a relatively new tool that is connecting the pieces the way we do so we use that a lot in the messaging so in essence um, less of call to action, more a conversation that someone kind of wants to click on. Because on Facebook, you're, the visitor is usually clicking more on the image and more on the news item as opposed to a button or a text link. Okay, so news items, you've, you've said that a few times. Does that mean that promoted posts are probably a more effective way to do things for companies like yours? Yeah, promoted posts yeah. or designing ads to be more like posts. And okay, here's a slightly more challenging question, and that is what piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about, and you intend to try at some point in the near future? And this is always from a marketing point of view, right? 
Yes, um, not necessarily directly related, but um, something that would positively impact marketing in the end. There's two key areas, I would say. One is customer success. We're not currently sophisticated enough as we would like to be, mainly because we've invested mainly in the team. Now, what is customer success, right? In a way, we see it kind of part of marketing, although it's soon going to grow enough to be kind of standing on its own. But customer success is, is the idea that you've brought a customer in, they've paid you money. Now you want to make sure they're successful so that they can stay longer with you and you can have a higher lifetime value, right? And that changes the whole economics of your, of your marketing department. Um, so we'd like to invest. We've, we've heard about some interesting tools which allow you to quickly gauge the temperament or the, the temperature kind of more of your customers to see if they're, if they're good or bad and to be able to kind of keep a high-level dashboard of what you should be kind of acting on. So that's something we're, we're definitely interested in, in looking at. Two key tools, I think, on the market there that are maybe on the more expensive side are Totango and Gainsight. Um, so we're looking forward to testing those out. Um, yeah, and then on the more, let's say, big data piece, being a SaaS company, um, we are not, again, as sophisticated as, as we should be when it comes to monitoring and, and measuring numbers. So we're really excited to look at creating kind of our own internal data cluster. And the tool that I'd, I cannot wait to use is, is putting Tableau on top of that so I, we can uh, dig into the numbers and visualize what's going on in there. Superb. Well, I think that those are three pieces of software that um, no one has talked about so far is something that they'd like to try. So that's always interesting to, to, to get recommendations like that. So I'll make sure I hunt down those links and include them in the in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com. But let's move on to... I wish I would have. So David, I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? Definitely my previous projects where I failed, it was go out and sell the product to the customer before I even built it. That's like critical. Just so that So you need to do that. That that's that's the thing that you should have done and you didn't do. Yes. Build before okay. you se- sorry, sell before you build. It sounds in kind of counterintuitive, but when you think about it, if, if you listen to some of the, the most famous copywriters from the early years, um they Many times they use this approach, so they would write these awesome kind of copy ads selling something which might not even exist, and you send in a coupon or whatnot, and then they would actually build a product if they get the interest. Um, And when you think about it, we live in a digital age where it's actually possible, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you should go out there and and kind of fake your way or or promise to sell something you you can't build, right? So it's critical that you're able to do it. But even if we look at... Kickstarter, uh, Indiegogo, all these platforms where people go out and literally raise, kind of they're doing that, right? They're raising the money for the idea. So I'd say in general, try and think more in this way. You reach out, speak, speak to your customers more often. That's number one. And the second one would be definitely put more thought into pricing. <laughs> and okay. it's funny because with Hotjar, for example, we were we were definitely I was kind of more on the side of being a little bit, um, let's say, desperate. So I had failed in two projects, and I just I really wanted to succeed with this one. So it's easy to kind of take the pricing for granted. Um, but it was interesting. I was at an event, and there was the one of the founders of of HubSpot, Darmesh, and he was saying, um, 
they're like five MBA guys, the founders, right? And and, and it took them 15 minutes to choose the pricing as well. <laughs> and looking back, it was like, oh, I wish, wish we had put more thought into it. And obviously, it's a double-edged sword, right? You don't want to put too much thought into it that you overcomplicate things. But I think it makes sense to have a good strategy and not to wait too long to act on it and, and make sure the pricing reflects really well the overall business strategy. So those are two things, definitely. So by putting more thought into it, do you mean surveying the potential community and asking them how much they'd be willing to pay for that kind of software? Yeah, I think it's very easy for entrepreneurs to think of pricing with an entrepreneur mindset, right? So we're hustlers. We're like, oh, I'm not going to pay $80, $60. So it's critical to think, who am I selling to? Because if... If my strategy is to sell, if I'm if I'm selling a niche product which is complex, and I'm putting a price point on it which is a, a low price point for like volume price points, then you are going to fail, like no matter what you do. So it's critical to understand how big is the market, the prospects I'm selling to, what are they spending on, and what value do they get by solving this problem. And then where should I price myself uh, strategically, competitively to kind of succeed? So it's very easy to skip that and go straight into the looking at competitors and saying, oh, we're going to win because we're going to be half the price. But that that is not always the, the way to go. That's certainly not always the way to win. Correct. The this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Just two rows here. Try not to think about the answer too much. And you're only allowed to say the word both on one occasion. Ooh. Ready to go? <laughs> Let's do it. Email or Twitter? Email. Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? Display. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one -on -one relations? One-on-one -on -one relations. Paid search or SEO? Ooh, SEO. Email contact form or telephone number? Telephone number. Ugh. Website or app? Website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Global marketing. Yay! I think the biggest challenge I didn't challenge use the boat. <laughs> you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. Well, you, I, I didn't need to. I could have used it on SEO. With, yeah, yeah. Yeah, paid, paid search yeah. for SEO. That was yeah. obviously the, the that one. That was the both. That, yeah, yeah. I'd go back retroactively and change that. <laughs> <laughs> but you did say SEO was more important. So does SEO drive more traffic than paid search for you at the moment? Um. Yeah, that's a good question. The thing is, long term, I'm a long term type of guy. I always like to think like winning the 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 end game kind of. End game uh, organic is key. You you should be building everything around that. Um, now, obviously, paid is a great way to go out there and test what you should be building organic for, and you probably need to be out there competing. But essentially, just Google takes such a big lion's share from search. It's so competitive that that's just not. I don't think it's a tactic you're gonna win. In unless your business is, let's say, in e-commerce and you are extremely dependent on search. That's obviously a different ballgame. But just in general, it's very easy to get caught up in, in paid search. And if that is your only strategy, then you are extremely dependent on the search engine. Yeah, certainly if you just focus on Google AdWords as being your only paid search and that being your only source of traffic, I guess that's not a long-term game. Yeah, I, I'm I'm big, much bigger fan of display 
that works and and okay, so, oh, dis- so display as as retargeting or display as um some other form both so both. display as retargeting and also using display as an opportunity to get that newsworthiness out there um so to go out and get like placed in the right spot and and working together with more organic like more let's say pr newsworthy stuff it's kind of again the fuel you can throw on the fire so do you use an attribution model to attempt to actually measure the value of that display campaign in a final purchase that is the question of all time right (laughs) (laughs) we can do a call just about that attribution is one of the most biggest challenges ever um yes the, the the short answer is yes we do we do a direct attribution um but we don't it's it's risky to put too much uh, like thought into that so what we do at the same time is also do a more global attribution which is of all the funds we spend of all the budget we have what is the outcome of that and attribute a little bit of the word of mouth to that as well right because the two things there's so many things that cannot be attributed but it would be a, such a big mistake to stop doing things simply because you can't have correct attribution so it's a it's a double-edged sword again. <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> we, we could certainly discuss that forever. But let's move on to... The $10,000 question. And that is, um, if I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? That's, that's funny because we're actually working on a new project, which is um, uh, essentially the idea of doing kind of an awards for Hajar. Okay. Um, internal awards or awards? No, external, customers? external. So the, the idea is there are a few challenges we have, and I like to come up with kind of projects that solve multiple challenges at one go. So we need to obviously find awesome developers, and that is not easy. Um, and we want to get the word out about Hotjar, not necessarily on the merits of the tool or whatnot, but more from a community aspect. So one idea that I am kind of pushing forward right now is for us to create what's called experience awards. So it's for like seed, early stage startups, developers and marketers coming together. There's a lot of them right now trying to build new things and basically do an award for them. And funnily enough, I was thinking just yesterday and presented to the team that the award should be a $10,000 check. So um, so I would use it for that. I think um, obviously I'm going to need some more money to promote the event, but um, I'd probably put it towards uh, this this event. So it's again, it's, it's the newsworthiness aspect. See, so we're creating something that can go out there and people want to click on on Facebook or wherever because it's it's interesting. There's something worth discovering. And um, obviously the second part of it was um, how do you measure success of that? Oh, yes. Do you just attempt to actually put that into your attribution model? No, I think I think we would measure success by looking at, in this case, we're trying to solve two challenges, right? So we'd look at very easily to measure how many kind of recruits or applicants we get through this process from, a, from a, the dev pipeline, uh, because that obviously solves an in, big indirect problem for marketing, right? The, the more we can grow our dev team, the more than we can achieve in terms of newsworthiness projects and improving the product and marketing projects. And then the second um, would be probably from that microsite or landing pages or content we build for that, we'd probably have some at least some simple UTM parameters linking back to the site so we can track if we get signups or activity or whatnot. And um, you use Google Analytics then yourself? 
Uh, we use a mix. So okay. for attribution, we're currently using a mix of Google Analytics and Mixpanel. Great. Okay. Well, um, I reckon that just takes us up to... My number one takeaway. So, David, you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what is the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listener needs to take away and implement in their business? I'd say definitely listen to your users, become your user, and and kind of, if I may say, give a shit, right? So... I've worked with so many clients where we've uncovered a big problem that the users have, but then their inability to go out there and execute on that is, is sometimes worrying. And that, that can lead to you losing to your competitors. So stupid example, working with an e-commerce client, um, they wanted to improve the site. They had all those analytics metrics we talked about, right? Mm. But we said, okay, let's deploy a poll because we're seeing some interesting activity in heat maps and recordings where people are not kind of they, they seem very hesitant in ordering and they're switching a lot between different pages. We asked the poll, what's missing on these pages? And 70% of the re- responses were the weight of the bike. So they were selling bikes. They were wow. like, the, the, wow. the, the, I need the weight of the bike because when you think about it, right? Like I I I I have a bike, but I'm not uh, an aficionado or anything. But when you think about it, if you're shopping and you're uh, passionate about this, that's kind of a big factor. So the give a shit part is just go out there, weigh the bikes, create an awesome comparison tool. Why does weight matter? And and where are the aspect ratios of weight, the center of gravity? You know what I mean? Like if that's an important thing, make it your mission, make it your vision. So I think it's it's using the tools we have, which thank God no one has put a, a SaaS package around, which is your eyes, your ears, your mouth, and just get out there, uh, it's so easy to be kind of comfortable behind our desk using our tools. Just get out there, find the number one big problem and solve it. I love that question as well. What's missing on this page? Because it really encourages conversation and it might bring up challenges that aren't necessarily immediately obvious in your analytics. It might not be a highly popular keyword phrase that people tend to search for, but it could be a big problem in that particular industry. And funnily enough, most of these insights you get through this feedback then typically shed the light on everything else, right? So you always end up with, so that's why people are kind of clicking on this and trying, and but they're not getting through or blah, blah, blah. Absolutely. Well, blah, blah, blah takes us up to the end of our conversation <laughs> today. So uh, thank you so much um, for your time and your advice, David. What's the, the best way for a listener to find out more about you and what you do? Um, so, so yeah, you can find me on Twitter at David Armanin. Um, but I've also written, um, I, I always like to share this because it's kind of a, not tied to Hotjar, but it's it's kind of my way of giving back a little bit. I've written in a, an action plan. It's called a Hotjar action plan, but you can use you can do it with any tool as long as you manage to kind of get the insights. Um, and it's basically like a nine-step program of the things you should do to, to kind of embrace what I just talked about, getting out there and discovering what you should be doing next to solve problems. So if you just Google Hotjar Action Plan, you'll find my nine kind of tips of what to do. But uh, yeah, if you want to reach out to me, you'll, you'll find me on, t- on Twitter. I'm quite the social guy. <laughs> Superb. Um, well, I'll make sure that um, I Google uh, Hotjar Action Plan and include that in the, in the show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com as well. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure being on the interview. Really enjoyed it. 
well yeah thank you thank you so much thank you as well it was, it was, it was great and uh, I'm sure the listeners enjoyed it certainly as well so um, if you enjoyed um, what David shared today tell us what you think iTunes review is always good um, might even review that um, or read it out in a future episode and of course um, if Twitter's your thing then at David Bain is my handle as well so whatever your thoughts um, on this episode um, it'd be good to hear from you maybe from what David shared you've got some suggestions of what we should do or discuss in a future episode so That'd be good. But um, until we meet again, be fantabulous and do one thing that scares you. (laughs) Adios. Thanks.